Hello and welcome to the second episode of this podcast. For those who listened to the first episode, I explained that the purpose of the podcast was to maintain a communications link with the Knight Templar of Durham. However, the first episode has now been played in the UK, US, Serbia, Poland, Canada, Australia and other countries. Likewise, it has been advertised on the Mark Mason's Hall weekly newsletter, so no pressure going forward. I've had a lot of positive comments and only one negative comment so far, which incidentally was from my wife, who criticised my many hums and haws. So I obviously need to up my game, so I hope this episode is slightly more polished. Last week, I explored the relationship between the First Templars and Freemasonry, And this week, we will continue with that theme as we investigate the early Masonic Knights Templar. While it can be safely assumed that the degree of Knight Templar has been practised in England and elsewhere for some time previously, the earliest existing minute belongs to the St Andrew's Royal Arch Chapter at Boston, Massachusetts, and is also dated 1769. In search for the source or sources of the Masonic Order of the Temple, we are led inevitably to the continent of Europe. We are in great difficulty, however, in establishing places and dates. There are tantalising glimpses. For instance, it is said that two lodges in Germany were, in the 1740s, conferring chivalric titles upon their members, even on apprentices. Some writers prefer to base their studies on France, For example, that Chevalier Andrew Ramsey in his oration of 1737 connected, without historical foundation, Freemasonry with the Crusades and with the chivalric orders which arose therein. Ramsey established three degrees, namely the Echisius, the Novice and the Knight Templar, but nothing is added to support that statement. In the absence of the irrefutable evidence, one has to look firstly for possibilities and then to see whether the most promising of these can be regarded as a probability. By following such a procedure, one arrives at the right of strict observance as a probable. The right of strict observance was uh, predicated upon a legendary story of certainly medieval Knights Templar who found asylum in Scotland when their order was so brutally suppressed. These knights, it was said, became members of the Masons' guilds, and so were direct answers by speculative fraternity now under the Grand Lodge of Scotland. By this route, an unbroken succession of Knight Templar Grand Masters, their names uh, known only to a few, connected Jacques de Morlaix with the 1750s. Fuller accounts of the birth, life and death of the strict observance will be found in Gold's History of Freemasonry and elsewhere. For our present purposes, it is sufficient to know that Karl Gotthelf, uh, Baron von Hund, was its creator and that woven into its fabric was an assumption that the time was ripe for the Templars to reveal to the world their continued existence, and even for them to lay claim to the former properties and privileges of the Order. Von Hund, who had become a Freemason, probably in 1742, was, according to his own later assertion, received into the Order of the Temple in Paris in the presence of William, fourth and last Earl of Kilmarnock, who was Grand Master Mason of Scotland in 1742-1743. to 
since Lord Kilmarnock, a Jacobite, was executed in 1746 for his support of Prince Charles Edward Stuart, that ceremony in Paris would have taken place in 1744 or thereabouts. We are to suppose that the Knights Templar present on that occasion, including of course the noble Earl, had been installed as such by the Scottish successors of the medieval refugees who had already been mentioned. We move on to the next decade, in the 1750s, when the strict observance had been organised by von Hund and its first members were created. A feature of the obligation taken in the Entered Apprentice degree was an oath of unquestioning obedience to unknown superiors, hence the name of the rite, Strict Observance. In 1763, the appearance in Germany of someone called Johnson, uh, whose forename is unknown, adds a bizarre note to the story. He declared himself to be an emissary of the Order of the Temple, authorised by the Sovereign Chapter in Scotland to introduce the Order into Europe. The issue is complicated by the ready acceptance which many have given to Johnson's claim. But in due time, von Hund overcame the intruder who was eventually imprisoned without trial and died in 1775. Von Hund was so successful with his right that it almost superseded the English-style Freemasonry, which had hitherto been active in Germany, and this despite the restrictive rules which had been added to that governance by unknown superiors. By the time, there was a a belief that the Templars were actually possessors of occult knowledge, and many of the lodges and individuals who transferred their allegiance to von Hund's right saw themselves as ultimately acquiring such knowledge. The strict observance was taken into other countries, Russia, France, the Netherlands, Switzerland and Italy, until its demise in the 1790s, it exerted uh, considerable influence on the continent and strong elements from it can be found today in the Scandinavian and rectified Scottish rites. We have told this story here, greatly abbreviated, because of its bearing upon the development of the Masonic Order of the Temple. Gold, in his Book of Military Lodges, 1732-1890, took quite a positive view. Lodges in British regiments must have constantly worked side by side with the lodges under the strict observance. During the military operations, moreover, many prisoners were made on both sides, and that masons among them fraternised in each other's case with their captors and this must be taken as a certainty. The degree of Knight Templar became a very favourite one in the lodges of the British Army, and by these military and Masonic bodies, who must have derived from their knowledge of it from associating with lodges and brethren under the strict observance, the degree was doubtlessly introduced into England and America. George Draffin, in repeating Gould's words, pointed out that there was no evidence of an alternative source that had come to light and clearly accepts Gould's theory as the best available. Whatever may be concluded as to the origins of the degree of Knight Templar, it must be inferred that at that time, around about 1769, when it was being worked in Massachusetts, it was in that same period being practised elsewhere. In England, under the Grand Lodge of Ancients, formed in 1751, it was generally held that the craft warrant conveyed powers to confer other degrees, 
such as those of Knight Templar and Rosecraw in that sequence. The military lodges were in many cases also custodians of their chivalric degrees, and it was to be remembered that the majority of these had been chartered by Ireland. The earliest surviving records for England, however, is, like that for Massachusetts, within a Royal Arch context. The chapter of friendship at Portsmouth, in which Dunkley had performed the mark ceremonies nine years before, noted in its minutes for 21st of October 1778 that Dunkley had advised them in writing that they might make Knights Templars if they wanted to, and so resolved. In the following year, the Grand Lodge of All England at York is known to have conferred the degree and may be suspected of having done so before. We are now approaching the period when English knights were seeking means of assembly uh, entirely separate from craft lodges or royal arch chapters within which they must have had themselves created. Bristol, a much used port of entry for travellers from Southern Ireland, seems to have been one of the first such encampments, formed according to Richard Smith, later to be the Grand Superintendent of Baldwin, but now writing about it in 1820, in 1784 to 1785 as an offshoot of the Royal Arch Chapter of Charity. Other Baldwin historians are convinced that the first Bristol encampment was established in or prior to 1780 and that was in fact the Baldwin encampment. Since Thomas Dunkley had been Grand Superintendent in and over Bristol since 1782 and while still in that office was to be instrumental in the events of 1791, we are in danger of infringing upon the next chapter of this podcast. But it must be added here that the Irish influence was probably seeping through into other ports such as Liverpool and that several old encampments remain as preceptories on the role of the present Great Priory date from this period. Others were established but did not survive. That of observance and of the seven degrees was the uh, transformation of the remnants of Lee Lintot's rite, another very interesting history that was of St John of Jerusalem at Redruth. It was from these that supported the, uh, was drawn the Grand Conclave of 1791. Well, that concludes this short podcast. I hope you've learned something from it and it has provided you with some food for thought. In episode 3, we will continue with the history of the Masonic Knights Templar and look at the formation of Great Priory. Thanks very much for listening. Take care, everybody. Until next time.